0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. You'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 with me this morning. Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. And if you'll slip your hand up and usher, will bring them to you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift from us to you. We value God's Word and we want you in there with us. So, uh, as we dive into this sermon, I-, I want to keep in mind, I want you to keep in mind the songs that we opened up and sang this morning. You know, when we kind of craft and pray over the service, there's a reason why we do most everything we do. And we want to set up, uh, as we're moving into this sermon, a, a place where we recognize uh, that, man, it, Jesus has done an amazing work for us. You know what I mean? Like... Him coming down to this world, taking on flesh, becoming the, the humble servant, as you, if you will, living a perfect life, dying a, a brutal death, resurrecting from the dead three days later, and then saying, hey, if you want eternal life, it's yours. Just Just believe in me. That's an amazing gift. And I want us to keep that gift in mind because I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to hit something hard this morning. Uh, I want to dive into to, to a, an idea that might have you talking about me at the lunch table, and that's okay. How, raise your hand if you've watched the show The Office. Anybody? Okay. Praise the Lord. This one, you know, I feel like I used the illustration recently, and there was like two of us in the room that had done it. So this one might actually hit. So there's a guy in this show, in case you don't know the show The Office, it's literally what it sounds like. It's it's a show about people working in the office, and I think it's kind of a satire on all of those kind of reality TV shows. It was meant to be a show that was kind of looking like a reality TV show, but in fact wasn't. And there's this boss, his name is Michael Scott, and he's kind of eccentric, um, Uh, He he really doesn't know what he's doing half the time, and he's, you know, uh, just short, you know, a few short of a full bushel there. And then he's got this other guy, uh, a guy named Dwight Schrute. Now, Dwight Schrute's title at work is assistant to the regional manager. But the entire time Dwight is working there, he really wants to be the assistant regional manager. And time and time again... They'll be in a conversation, there'll be an email sent out, and Dwight is pushing the whole assistant regional manager. And Michael Scott is really quick, and his coworkers are really quick to remind him assistant to the regional manager. Nope, not assistant regional manager, assistant to the regional manager. They even, it got so, the show got so popular, uh, Etsy artists and others began creating T-shirts. I think my wife actually got my son and I this shirt. I had the regional manager T-shirt, and then my son had the assistant to the regional manager T-shirt. But there's something that happened in Dwight Schrute's uh, life in this show that uh, could be profound for us today, and something that if we're not careful, can happen to us. So take, take a, a quick glimpse at this clip. Dwight was made this assistant manager in name only. And in our text today, Jesus is going to be speaking to his disciples. And he's going to challenge them, and he's going to instruct them to be something. He's going to instruct them to be more than in name only followers. In name only in case you don't know what that phrase in name only means, it, it's kind of like this, this, this person who says that there's something, but there's really nothing else in their life that lines up with that thing. Like for, for Dwight Schrute in this moment, it's becoming the assistant regional manager. His boss literally says, no, nothing's changing. Your name is the only thing that's changing, right? Kind of a formality, not at all, right? I'm just kind of throwing you a bone. This doesn't actually mean anything. And if we aren't careful, our Christian walks can become and maybe even be the same exact thing. Let's go a little deeper into this in-name only. Urban Dictionary, in case you don't know it, it's not at all credible, but they have a definition for in-name only. They say it's nominally, formally, not actual, only by terminology. I don't know if you understood that, but here's an example sentence they gave. The president is the head of the country in-name only. Congress makes the law. They even go further in Urban Dictionary to give a Christian in-name-only definition. They say when you push pro-Christian values but ignore everything Jesus said about helping your sister or your brother and loving everyone unconditionally. They then gave kind of a a sample conversation. Susan goes, you know, Bill is such a strong Christian. And then John goes, hardly. Bill is a card-carrying member of the KKK. He's more of a Christian in-name-only Sort of guy, and here's the thing: is we're going to dive into this text. I think the reality for for us in the room is we don't wake up going, you know what? I want to be an in name only Christian. I don't think we wake up and and make that decision. I, I do think somewhere along the lines, what happens is we may have walked down an aisle, said a prayer, we grew up in church. We went to a camp one day, and the emotions got stirring, but something happens along the years. And what we kind of fell into, maybe, we just kind of slipped back out of. And so we're real quick in the South to Facebook status Christian. But sometimes we're real slow to actually walk in that name and actually be that name. And maybe, maybe at times it's because Somebody kind of modeled for us, here's what it means to be a Christian, and that model might have been broken. Maybe there's a sense where we just missed it. I don't know what it is, but my prayer today is that we can all lean in and learn to take a step in following Jesus and become less in-name-only Christians and more devoted followers of Him. So as Danny read for us this morning, we're going to dive directly into this text. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. So Jesus has chosen his 12 apostles after a lot of prayer we spoke about last week. Comes down from the mountain. He's been praying about choosing these representatives, these people who will kind of lead the charge, especially once he has resurrected and ascended back into heaven. And he chooses these 12 folks out of a group of disciples. He comes down and then it says in 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all the areas around. So Jesus is about to begin to preach the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And what I want to notice right here as we dive into the beginning parts of this text is there's three groups of people that are going to be highlighted by Luke. And I don't think these are just happenstance. I think the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to say every single word he's going to say. So let's dissect these three groups of people. The first one, it says, he came down with them. These are those apostles. These are those people that Jesus had chosen to be the followers and to be the leaders and to be the, the kind of the head of the church once he has gone. So look at camp one. These are committed people. As we talked about last week, fans and followers, these are true followers. These are people who say Jesus is everything, but it's also people who are flawed. It's also people who in a couple of months down from this place, they're going to watch Jesus die on a cross, and for three days they're going to doubt everything they thought they knew. I was talking to my, my, my son just yesterday about that moment and how, what, what would it take in our life to go one moment, yes, absolutely, we are this, and then all of a sudden everything changes, and for three days we're denying Jesus, we're running from Jesus, then all of a sudden something changes. I was talking to him about the, 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 the truth of Christianity. When people come up from the outside and go, ah, that whole stuff is made up. Well, is it made up that these dudes who had left everything to follow Jesus all of a sudden gave up everything to save their skin? I don't know Jesus three times, Peter denies. And then yet three days later, they're sticking their neck out for this guy. They're going, no, I've seen him. Many of them die horrific deaths. A lot can happen in three days. These are the first group of people, these apostles, this broken, ragtag group of people. The next group, it says... He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. So Luke's still using this language from last week's sermon that we talked about. This, this group of disciples in this case is really just those same people who he had just chosen the twelve from, but the ones he didn't choose. And so here they are, a, a, a group of people who some may still be second guessing. How did you choose Judas? You know, he seems a little sketchy to me. That guy has the gift of discernment, right? And and this group of disciples is some people who are fans, and they're just there because Jesus is healing and doing some amazing things. But there's others in there who are who are followers; they're committed to the calling. So you got two groups. The third group right here is the great multitude of people. Now we know that this is a group of people who haven't necessarily said that they believe in anything, but man, they they want some healing. Now, I, I don't want to make an ecclesiog- ecclesiological argument here, basically a, an argument that says this is how the church should be, but what I love in this moment that Luke sets up for us is that he shows us that Jesus is about to teach to a large group of people that's made up of three different groups of people. And I think if we're not careful, sometimes we go, you know what, the church is only for that clean group of people. Those Maybe those apostles are really just the committed followers. The church isn't for people who... Are unsure. The church isn't a place for people to come and ask questions. It's just a place for you to come and assimilate. And I think Jesus might be giving us a different perspective. I love that he's teaching a diverse group of people because here's the deal. We will never reach the lost in large numbers if all we ever do is set up our Christian worship services and hope, and and our Christian Bible studies, and we hope that people who aren't Christians come. Like, you know, as a Christ follower, you've been called to make disciples, to go out and make proclamation of this good news, this Jesus that we have. And what we do so often is we set up good Christian worship services and good Christian Bible studies. We go, where are all the lost people? Well, geez, if we built it, why didn't they come? Maybe that's not how it works. Maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something more than just building and hoping they will come. You know, like if you're in a group or you're a group leader, you know, we we talk to you a lot, and some of you do it really well, but we need to do more. We need to have social gatherings. Like if you're in one of our small groups, if your entire purpose is just to meet whenever you meet and open the Bible and that's it, you're missing it. Like your group exists to be an arm of the gospel, to invite people in, throw the Super Bowl party, throw the spring whatever. Have an ice cream social when it's 45 degrees outside. Not a great idea. But, like, use your group as a tool to engage people. Maybe you're saying, I'm not really in a group. I'm really busy. But I got this group of friends. Have them over to your house. Let them get to know you. All for the spread of the gospel. To preach and proclaim to people. How you interact with coworkers. How you interact with employees and employers will show what your intention is. And as Christians, what we need to do is we need to be getting ourselves around people who aren't Christians. All so that they can see us, and maybe even more importantly, get this, so that we can see them. The longer that you become, or that you are a Christian, the more insulated you become. You know what I mean, right? Some of you have been in church your whole life you look at that that circle of friends that you have, and we start talking about growing as a church, and we start talking about reaching the lost, and we call them fish sometimes. When we start doing all of these things, we say, I don't know any lost people. And, And here's the reality. If you're doing the Christian life well, you do become a little insulated. But there is a difference between doing something good and doing something great. You know, good... is creating deep friendships with people who do love Jesus. Good is marrying someone who is equally yoked. Good is sending your kids to church functions and involving yourself in their life and discipling them. But great is having Christians as deep friends, but then also having others who are in your life who aren't Christians, so that you can intentionally pour into them, so you can have relationships and talk with them about Jesus good is marrying someone who thinks and agrees with you theologically that Jesus is the Lord but you know great is praying with your spouse and finding other people in your community who maybe you and her can go do something with so that you can proclaim the gospel having that 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 section of people good is sending our kids to church functions and discipling them, but great is not only sending them to church functions and discipling them at home, but getting ready to launch them. My wife and I say something constantly. Our job as parents is not to raise good kids. Our job as parents are to raise good adults. And so what that means is today, I might make a decision that some of you disagree with, but tomorrow... I'm hoping that that decision pay dividends and yields fruit in the kingdom. There are things that we have conversations with our kids about today that someone goes, that's uncomfortable, that's hard, that's whatever. And I'm going, it is. But you know what? I don't need my 8-year-old to be an amazing 8-year-old. I need him to be an amazing man of God. And that's what I'm raising him to be because he won't be in my house forever. He's going to leave me. And even when he's in my house, you know parents are teenagers. <laughs> it's kind of like they're in your house, but they're not of your house, right? <laughs> like, you kind of you you lose a little bit of control at some point. You know, as a dad, you're like, when is this kid going to get bigger than me? And I can still kind of intimidate him. Like, and, and, you know, you're just kind of playing that game. Maybe I can, you know, give him a carrot stick this way. You're just, you're really, as a parent, you're doing the best that you can to point them to Jesus every single day. That's what going from good to great is. And until we can see, feel, and empathize with the lost around us, we will never truly have a heart for the lost. Because all we ever hang out with and see is each other in Christ. And we're called to do that. But what do you see Jesus model? He has that tight knit, those Jesus followers. But then he takes moments and he leaves that And he goes into the uncomfort and the messy of broken and and people who are far from him. And he says, Look, here's a better way. He shows them through solid relationships. We need to get close to people who are hurting from God or who are far from God the hurting, the broken, the struggling. And we need to share the peace that surpasses all understanding. But here's these three groups. But here's the, 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 the specific thing we need to lean into. Who does Jesus address in this Sermon on the Mount? So we read this text, and it can be a very difficult text to go, you know, uh, those, those things don't sound like, you know, blessings. And those things don't sound like woes. How, how, do we, how do we siphon through this and filter through and get the direct meaning? But it goes back to what we sang about who you are in Christ, what He's done for you, and then we look to see who He's speaking to. In verse 20, He makes it really clear. He says, He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said... Notice, Luke points out the three groups of people who are in the crowd. you got the apostles, you got the disciples, and you got everybody else. Now, He shifts His language a little bit, and He says disciples only, but that what that really means is the followers not the fans. So now we have the committed followers of the disciple group and the apostles and Jesus is preaching over everyone but he's preaching to those who call him Lord. It's very important. It's very important because he's about to go into this idea and he's going to flip the kingdom upside down. Let me show you this, this picture that I have up here. Which group would you rather be? Would you rather be the poor, hungry, weeping, reviled? Most of us wake up for breakfast like that, right? That's what we want. That's, that's the bowl of Wheaties we want to eat. Man, let's be poor. Let's be reviled. That is not what we wake up to. What do we want? We want to be rich. We want to be full. We want to be people of laughter. You know, you go to somebody's house and they never laugh. You're like, I never want to go back to that person's house, right? But, man, if there's laughter and there's joy, man, you want to be there. And then because of those things, people speak honorably about them. And Jesus puts these two categories out there. And in the world and in our flesh, we would always choose rich, full, laughing, honorable now. But what does Jesus say about them? He uses this term, blessed. And and it can really be translated as happy or joyful or whole, content. He says, bless those who are poor. Who are hungry, who weep. You're blessed if you get excluded and you get reviled and people look at your name as evil. But you should be weeping if you're rich or you're full or you laugh a lot now and people speak well of you. This can be a difficult text because I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be hungry and I don't be weeping. Now, Luke has a very special perspective in his gospel. Luke oftentimes attaches spiritual things to physical things. So throughout this gospel text, what Luke is going to do is he he's going to associate if you are rich in spirit, in Christ, then you don't need anything else. So you might find yourself in a different financial position. But Matthew's account gives us a little deeper picture and a little more intentional perspective, I think, sometimes to help us understand what exactly was Jesus saying to his disciples in that moment, something we can connect with today without having to read all 20-something chapters of Luke right here and right now to really understand. He says this. If you can go to Matthew chapter 4 at a later point, we're not going to walk through it, this morning but he basically says those who are poor in spirit these are those people that that know that they're dead in their trespasses these these are folks that know and recognize their need for jesus if you're if you're poor in spirit you recognize that you're you're dead in your trespasses and outside of him there's nothing that can be done for you you're just you're there And you are happy and content because you know who Jesus is. Matthew goes on to say those who hunger, blessed are those who hunger. And what he's really kind of implying in that text is hunger for him. They recognize that Jesus is the bread of life. Those who weep for the lost is what he's saying. Not just those who weep, but really who mourn for the people who are far from God. Those, those hurting, broken people. When you have that sort of heart, when your heart breaks for what his heart breaks, then you find joy and contentment and wholeness and shalom. And what Jesus is saying, both through the Gospel in Luke and in Matthew, is this idea... That when we do these things, when we weep for the, those that are broken, when we're poor in spirit, when we're, when we're hungry for more of the bread of life, when we do those, then we will be excluded, we will be reviled, and we will be spoken of as evil. You know why? Because you haven't been an in-name-only follower. You've been set apart. Your life has been different. And when we come face to face with the glory of Jesus, what needs to happen, what we need to pray for and to seek after on a regular daily basis, maybe even moment by moment, is that we will ask for him to take the grandeur and the spectacle and the illusion of this world is enough and we will say, God, make it to be where you fill us up. You are where I find my wholeness. You are where I find my happiness and my joy in all things in this world. This isn't just a formality. If you are in Christ, he says he has set you free from this world and from sin. And he set you fr- free from those things for him and his people. You know, too often our our Christian faith can seem a lot like, if we're not careful, if we're in name only, it can seem a lot like self-help and improvement. And it it's looking at our moral and ethical behaviors. And if it gets to that point in your life that you're just trying to always fix the moral and the ethical, rather than falling in love with Jesus more, then maybe you have become an in-name only Christian a person who sort of understands the calling, but you've missed the call. Because you've just been making character adjustments, hoping that you fit into the crowd. When, when I used to preach to students, we used to talk about that checklist. Because when we're very young in the faith, and especially when we're in high school, if we're not careful, we can look at Christianity in being in Christ as this do's and don't list. And I think as we mature and we, 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 we grow older, If I'm being honest, that list doesn't go away. The language just gets a little more intellectually driven. And it can hide sometimes. And we forget that our character will look a lot like the character that he's want us to have when our heart looks a lot like the heart that he's given us rather than the heart that we continue to corrupt We need to own that we are new creations in Christ rather than trying to function in the old ways. You've been made new, and you've been made for a new purpose. Last week, I made the statement that you've been saved from sin, but you've also been saved for a people. Some of the ways that we can begin to operate as followers and not in name only Christians is this. The church is not a product for you to consume. The church is us and us together. And so if the church wants to reach more people, if the church wants to have better nursery things and better all-star kids programming and better music or more intentional with this or more intentional with that, you know where the solution doesn't land? At one individual or a select group Of individuals. It lands with us collectively. When we can be united and go out and we can start doing the work of the ministry, man, we will see things change, both in our city and in our own hearts. We have to stop being in-name-only Christians with our own church and maybe even stop being an in name only church and start being committed followers. We we have to get off of milk and start eating meat. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. We've got to stop being in-name-only Christians. We've got to start doing the work that he's called us to. We've got to start following after Jesus. We've got to put down the old and say it's dead and gone and function in the new. So here's my question. How do we quit being in-name-only Christians? Leave that up there for just a moment. How do we recognize our sin and become poor in spirit? How can we get a hunger for Him? How can we get hearts that break and weep for the lost? How can we stop consuming this thing that we were made to produce? It starts with surrender and a simple prayer that says this We ask you to take everything. Take everything. Because all of you is all I want and all I need. And when that prayer comes from the heart and out of the mouth. We're starting to take steps. Well, we're not just this group of Bible belt Christians. Man, we are something special. We are something unique in Christ. We're no longer sitting here waiting for things to happen in the church. We're no longer sitting here waiting for the 100,000 lost people in our city to see a banner on Facebook so that they come to church. No, we're taking the initiative because we feel the burden that they don't know Jesus. We start hosting people at our house. We say, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? No real agenda, but in the back of our minds, we're going, man, if I can somehow just steer the conversation, what do they think about Jesus? And start having these conversations with people. we got to start being intentional of getting outside of our Jesus bubbles. This is you and me both, people. Like, I ain't just preaching at you, Lord willing. I'm preaching with you. Like, we're running the race together. And if we are not careful, we're going to be Dwight Schrute in this thing. And we don't need to be. Because you're more than that. Because Christ made you more than that. Right? You're not in name only. You're chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're a new creation in Christ. Don't sit on the sidelines and say, well, somebody else will get it done. Step up. You've been gifted. Oh, I don't know my gifts. Let's figure them out. Let's do it. Let's get engaged with the Word of God. Let's get engaged with each other. Let's figure out how we can walk with these new parents who just stood up on a stage and said, well, I want to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, how can we do that? Some of you are older parents. You've got folks that have left the house. Come alongside one of these young couples. We need your wisdom because I don't know about the rest of them, but I don't know what I'm doing half the time with parenting, right? Like I'm sitting here going, Amy, what the heck are we going to do? I don't know the answer. Jesus, give me the answer. And you know what Jesus sometimes is saying? I've given you a people who have walked before as well. That's why the church exists. we got to stop thinking this church is about lights, about a cool sermon. we got to start thinking this church is about people who gather to lift each other up, to scatter to make his name known. We are not in name only Christians. You are not that. He has bled and died and resurrected for you, and you are more than that. You just got to stand up and say, take it all. I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to sing a song that says those words. I'm going to be down front, and if you want to pray, you want to talk about something, I'm here. If people start to move, elders, you got to step up and do it. Leaders in the church, you got to step up, pray over people. There shouldn't be an individual ever at our altar praying by themselves. We should always be praying for another brother and sister in Christ. You are more than an in-name only Christian. If you're sitting there going, I'm not a Christian at all. I don't even know about this whole God thing. I'm telling you, he's got a plan for you. There was a moment in my life where I was saying the same thing. I don't care about this God thing. He can have it. I don't even believe in him. It don't matter anyway. You can go that way. And he radically changed my life. Radically changed my life. And he'll do the same for you. If you'll just for a split second, just be open. Say, all right, I'm not even sure if you're real. Speak to me. His word doesn't come back null and void. Read it, try it out. Let's go to the Lord. God, as we close as we pray. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that's struggling in life, they're struggling to walk with you, maybe they get bogged down in all the moral and ethical things, God, I just I want you to remind them that they are more than the summation of their bad decisions that you bled and died on the cross for them, for their good and their bad. And you have said, Child, rise and walk in newness of life. If there's someone in this room that's never put their faith in Jesus, they're, they're struggling with some of the things we talked about earlier, science versus religion and faith in you. God, reveal... Your creation plan to them. Your intentionality. How you have woven this world together. And your scripture says you hold it together even now. Jesus, take it all from us. We give you everything. We trust in you. In your name alone. And God's people said...